Good morning, Orchard people. I wonder if you've ever been in jail in a foreign country. I've been in some foreign countries, but I've never been in jail there. And I don't think it'd be very pleasant. But Paul and Silas ended up not only in jail, but in prison in Philippi, thrown into the dungeon and locked up in stocks. How on earth did that happen? Well, it all started when Paul got a new assistant, a new companion named Silas, and they started off on what was called Paul's second missionary journey to take the gospel to the churches in Asia Minor. And they visited those churches and strengthened them. And when they got beyond the last one that Paul had been to before, um, they thought they would just explore new territory. But as they went across Asia Minor, what is now Turkey, as they traveled through the West, God wouldn't let them speak. They tried to go north. God wouldn't let them go north. And so they found themselves one night. Paul had a vision. And the vision was, come to Macedonia, which is in Greece, and help us. And that's how they ended up in Macedonia, Greece, the city of Philippi, in jail. You see, I wonder how... Silas would have responded. If it were like a comedy sketch, Silas would have looked at Paul, and there they're in jail. They were beaten, they're in chains. And he would have said, thanks a lot, Paul. I really appreciate you inviting me on this pleasure cruise. How on earth did we end up in jail? You said it was God's will that he was leading us all the way. How did this happen? Thanks a lot. Here we are. We're in chains. Welcome to Greece. Fine accommodations and friendly people. Not. Or the tragedy. What if Paul or Silas had said, you know, I'm done. I'm through. God, I tried to uh, do your will. And this is what it got me. It doesn't look like you care. You're not taking care. And so I'm out of here. This really sucks. Well, I don't think they did either one of those. In fact, this is a cosmic juncture, and the fate of the gospel in Europe is on the line. And what they do next is going to tell the story and determine what happens. Have you ever had that midnight moment like Paul and Silas in jail there at midnight or a midnight season? Um, when we were uh, starting the church at Redstone, there was a midnight moment. Actually, it was several years after we had started it. Daniel was about eight years old at the time. We've been meeting in a rented building there on Redstone Boulevard, and the church had grown as people had gotten to be saved, and we were pretty full in that little rented building, and then it sold. The owners decided that they needed that building right away. This is November, um, winter's coming on, so we found ourselves without anywhere to meet. And if you know Redstone, there's really not many places to accommodate a crowd in Redstone, and especially in winter. We tried to meet at the firehouse, you know, moving the trucks out, meeting in there, but it was a disaster. It was cold and it was noisy. What would happen? We had no place to meet. We gathered a good number of people. What could we do? It looked like maybe the church at Redstone would be no more. Now, what about you? What is your midnight moment? Or what is your midnight season? Is it, uh, is it this COVID-19 thing? That's a complex thing because there's the virus, 
that is real and deadly. Um, what, 130,000 Americans have died from it? There's the fear of getting the virus, of being very sick, of dying. Or is it maybe that, um, you know, I've lost my income. There's been an economic downturn. I don't have a job. I can't pay my bills. Is that your midnight moment? Or maybe it's that angst that we felt when we saw that black man being pressed into the pavement by the white policeman. The, the rage that some people have felt that have carried them into the streets. We're, we're embarrassed by the systematic racism in our country and we feel helpless of what to do. And, and we're, we're angry at the police maybe or at the protesters, the rioters, the looters. Just a floating anger. Our, our nation is in a crisis. Or maybe it was before or beyond uh, the circumstances we're now in. Maybe, maybe for you there was a medical issue that predated the COVID thing. And maybe you're dealing with uh, personal problems. Uh, could be depression, anxiety. It could be relational uh, tension or conflict. It could be, well, whatever personal problems. You see, Paul and Silas there in that jail had a midnight moment. In Redstone, we had a midnight moment. And maybe you're having a midnight moment now. So let's see if this story of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 offers us any hope or any handles. Now, as I said, they ended up in this dungeon in Philippi. Philippi was the gateway to Europe in the region of Macedonia of Greece, named after uh, Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great. Um, when Paul got that vision from the man saying, come and help us, they were off to the races. Man, they went across the Aegean Sea and uh, they were hoping to find uh, someone to preach to. Usually there's a synagogue in the town, but in Philippi there must not have been 10 uh, Jewish men to form a quorum, and so there was no synagogue. So they went down by the river to see if maybe on the Sabbath there'd be some people there praying. And they found a group of women praying there by the river. And it says that uh, among them was Lydia, a worshiper of God. She was listening, and it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, this is amazing. The very first newborn Christian in Europe was a woman, Lydia. It says God opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. Now, what would Paul have been saying? The gospel. He may have said something like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. I can tell you before that moment in Europe, there was not the faintest idea of a loving God who would do anything for people, let alone let his son die for them. This was astounding news that she heard that Jesus Christ, Son of God, died on the cross for pay for our sins, to suffer for our sins, reconcile us to God, and he was resurrected power over death and any dark enemy. The good news was this, no more religion. No more having to work your way to God. No more trying to balance your good deeds and bad deeds. No more wondering where you stand with God. 
I mean, no more wondering if you'll survive death beyond on this planet. No more sacrificing critters and trying to please God. No more trying to keep an impossible set of rules, knowing you're not judging other people who break more than you. No more. No more. Now, coming to Europe, salvation by grace through faith, purchased by Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, sealed by his resurrection, access and intimacy to a loving God, your heavenly father. She responded, Lydia responded. It says God opened her heart. Has God opened your heart to respond to the message of the gospel? Now, give you a moment to reflect here. Probably in America, you may have gone to church as a kid. Um, you knew or know about God. It's just sort of a given because we were 2,000 years into this uh, understanding, even though it's a, a background now, uh, the teaching of the Bible about God. You've... Uh, Maybe you believe there is a God. Uh, maybe you believe that Jesus was a, uh, a good teacher. Maybe you believe that, but not in. That was the difference with Lydia. She didn't just believe that God existed or that Jesus lived. She entrusted herself to God through Jesus Christ. She believed in Jesus. And that's where she was born again. And the Holy Spirit came to live within her. How about you? Have you come to a point where you can say, yes, God has opened my heart to respond to the gospel message. And I, I can say that Jesus is Lord and I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the way of salvation for you and for everyone. You can actuate that salvation right now in the way I've said. Now, Lydia and her friends became members of a household. They were saved and baptized that day. And I imagine Paul and Silas were ecstatic. Yes, God led us here. We've got new converts. We've got the beginning of the church. This is so incredible. And then, bam, it happened. And in and, and all innocence, they were on their way to a prayer meeting. And then it tells us in Acts chapter 16, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out and saying, these men are bondservants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. But wait, that sounds, that sounds great. You know, one of the locals, I mean, one of the um, uh, notable locals is apparently giving them an endorsement. What's wrong with that? Well, the key is in the Greek word behind the word divination, spirit of divination. And the Greek word is actually pythos, which means python. Python was supposedly the spirit that Apollo used to speak through the oracle of Delphi, a demonic spirit. A demonic spirit met Paul and Silas as they stepped foot into Europe in the form of a slave girl. <laughs> that was it. That's the best you can do. And it says she continued doing this for many days, 
But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out at that moment. All right. Problem solved. We've got the gateway to Europe swinging open. Uh, no more contesting by the evil spirits. But there was a problem. When Paul got tired of the free advertising and he uh, easily dismissed the demon, what happens next? It says that the owners who've been making money off of her got really upset that their income was gone. Now, what makes sense out of this? Um, this spiritual power encounter at the beginning of Europe here. I, I think either, either the demon itself was under the authority of God because Jesus had defeated the powers and principalities and um, he, he led them in a, in a parade after disarming them as a spectacle. So maybe the demon was just speaking the truth that God had, that the demon knew about on a spiritual level. Or it may be that um, the demon thought, if uh, I endorse this guy and he turns out doing real well, then it'll look good for me too. And um, they'll think that uh, me and Paul are working on this together. Well, either way, um, Paul exercised the demon. The handlers seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. Now, the Jews have been just thrown out of Rome by the emperor. And um, so there wasn't a goodwill toward the Jews at that time. And they're proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe because we are Romans and we are not to go after this kind of religious uh, philosophy. And then it said the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off and tore the robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. This is not, this is no scene in a play. An angry mob surrounded Paul and Silas. I don't know where Luke and Timothy were, uh, maybe hiding somewhere. Um, and, and the magistrates who are entrusted by the Roman Empire, because this is a Roman colony, to keep the peace at all costs. Don't let any riot happen. Don't let anything, no chaos. The magistrates ordered that Paul and Silas be stripped naked. Humiliation. And then he ordered them to be beaten with rods. Now, these rods uh, had a uh, technical name, and they were called, the, 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 the guys who wielded the rods, there were six of them who accompanied the magistrates, and they were called lictors, L-I-C-T-O-R-S. And they each had a bundle of rods, and uh, they were the enforcers. When someone committed a crime or violated a statute, they would bring them before the magistrates, and if the magistrates decided it was wrong, the uh, lictors got to take a rod and beat on these guys. And if you Google it and read about it, this was serious business. It inflicted serious damage. Uh, certainly uh, blood, bruise, could be broken bones. So this went on for a while. This wasn't just a scene. 
This uh, actually occurred, and it was an example to anyone who would violate the peace of the Roman order. So Paul and Silas, after they were beaten, it says, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So Paul and Silas, probably dragged to prison because I doubt they could stand, turned over to a rough and gruff jailer who had seen it all and had a uh, prison full of uh, rough criminals, take them and take them to the dungeon and not only chain them, but put their feet in stocks, which is not a comfortable position. And so here they are, they're at midnight. What could they do? They were on a journey for God, a mission for God, introducing the gospel to a new continent. And this had happened. What do they do? The Bible tells us in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Let that sink in for a moment. They were praying and singing songs of praise to God. Now, what were the other prisoners used to when someone got thrown into the slammer? What did the jailer usually hear? People yelling and cussing and complaining and accusing and threatening and on and on, but not Paul and Silas. They prayed, and it doesn't sound like they were the prayers of desperation, like, God, get us out of here. No, I think it was like Paul wrote later, 10 years later, um, to the Philippians in uh, the letter to the Philippians, chapter 4. I think Paul was doing here what he was empowered to do by the Spirit and what he described as uh, advice for the Philippians later, where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. In other words, that means have joy despite circumstances. Your joy is in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And you'll see that in just a moment, how that comes out. The Lord is near. They didn't feel abandoned. Do not be anxious about anything. And they had reason to be very anxious because who knows what would happen the next day. Maybe the magistrates would rebeat them. Who knows? Or kill them. But in everything, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So you're thankful as you ask. Almost an oxymoron. Present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that's exactly what Paul and Silas were doing. They were in a terrible situation, but their hearts and minds were guarded and they had peace of God in their heart and they could pray and they could sing. It was the peace of God. In fact, they were demonstrating what Paul later wrote, uh, or maybe earlier he had written to the Galatians saying, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, you're going to see that in this incident, all nine fruit of the Spirit were expressed by Paul and Silas. 
they're available to you by the Holy Spirit. If you've believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit in you is available so that you have those fruit of the Spirit to draw on when things are bad in your life. And so they responded in faith and trust to God, prayer, songs of praise. And then verse 26 says, Suddenly there, became, there came a great earthquake just so that the foundation of the prison house, it was shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. This is a strange earthquake. Nobody was killed. The roof didn't collapse, but the doors swung open and the chains were gone. So probably what? Jailbreak. Let's get out of here. <laughs> no, no, that's not what happened. Here's what happened. Verse 27. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had all escaped. See, it was dark in there. But Paul cried out with a loud voice and said, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. There's a very kind, compassionate, and gentleness here that Paul has for this jailer that had treated them so roughly. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved. <laughs> you see, saving the jailer's life from suicide or execution by the magistrates, saving his life from hell was more important to Paul than escaping from jail. He stayed there. Apparently the jailer had been listening in on some of uh, the conversation, the prayers and the songs of Paul and Probably had heard about the authority Paul had over the demon and the girl. He saw this on exhibit in Paul's life. He saw something that he had never seen before in anyone's life. And he said, I'll have some of what you're having. What must I do to be saved, to be like you, to have what you've got in this situation? I've seen hundreds of men I have put in here. I've never seen this kind of behavior before. Well, they said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your house. And so the jailer believed in Jesus and his household, his family. They took Paul and Silas out of the jail, into the jailer's home, cleansed and bathed their wounds. And the jailer was baptized at that time, like Lydia had been down by the river. And so, wow, you've got the jailer, his family, Lydia, her household, and probably some of the prisoners also believed in Jesus and they began to. And so now there was a, a new church established in Europe, in Philippi, all because all because of what they did at that midnight moment. And because of what they didn't do, because of what they did. They not only. They not only prayed and sang, they also exemplified what Paul had written to the Philippians or would write to them later in uh, chapter 2, where it says, verse 14, Do everything without grumbling or arguing or complaining so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly 
to the word of life without grumbling, without blaming, without arguing. Paul and Silas had every reason to grumble and complain and blame, but instead they prayed. Deep down inside, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now it's easy for us, especially now with the world in such a mess, for us to grouse and complain and, and blame and accuse. It's so easy for us to, with our friends and, and, and on social media, but I want you to know, when you line up with that spirit of complaint and blaming, you're lining up against the Holy Spirit that gives us the fruit of the spirit of joy, and peace, and patience. Stop it. Stop complaining and blaming and accusing on social media or anywhere else or in your heart. Get rid of that. Get clean. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus called us to be peacemakers, and it takes courage to be peacemakers when the world is in such a contentious place. Wow. That, the deliverance that they experienced in that midnight moment was paralleled in our midnight moment in Redstone. How about you? Well, for us in Redstone, um, that November... Um, when we didn't have a place to meet any longer, you bet we prayed and we got together at a house and we sang and we believed and trusted in God's provision. In fact, I remember just resting, resting in God's presence and care. I didn't know the answer. I didn't know what would happen. I had no idea. There was no solution that we could uh, effect. The, nothing. We didn't have any money um, and we didn't have any place to meet. But here's what happened. It's a crazy story. A guy in our church, Ken Gray, was a real estate agent and also a deputy sheriff in Gunnison County. One day he's on the Marble Road and he sees this guy uh, cutting fence along the side of the road. So Ken puts his sheriff's hat on, goes over and asks the guy, what are you doing cutting fence? And the guy's named Tom and he said, well, I bought a... Um, a log cabin that I'm going to move here next summer and use for a summer cabin. They got to talking more, and the guy revealed that he had bought the, uh, what had been the log church building that belonged to Messiah Lutheran in Aspen, Colorado. And he had to remove it from the premises so they could build their new building, but he didn't have anywhere to put this cabin until the next summer when he could get the place prepared and the foundation. Well, Ken came to me, I talked to Tom, and we got it worked out so that Tom said, yeah, you can use this log cabin church through the winter. I just need it next summer in June. Great, we had a log cabin church. What do we do? Where do we put it? Well, I went to Bob Delaney with Mid-Continent Coke and Coal and uh, got permission to put that log church building behind the Coke ovens. If you've been to Redstone, you know what I'm talking about. And so we had to get permission from the Pickens County Commissioners, which they and the planning department provided in one week. And that may be the biggest miracle of all. We got a one-week approval in Pickens County. And so how does this now take place? Well, here's a picture from the Valley Journal that was the uh, local Carbondale paper back in the day. And you can see there the church building 
is being trucked up. And you see, that's a picture of me there uh, by the side of it. And we're getting ready to set it on some railroad ties there behind the Coke ovens. And we put a uh, generator in a Coke oven, so we had electricity for the furnace and the sound. And we, uh, we got a uh, porta potty and uh, set it up. And so, of all things, what are the chances a church building would be coming up Highway 133 in November and made available over the winter? I, I, I don't think there's any explanation other than God's provision. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. The story got out, Associated Press, and it went all over the world. And we started getting clippings from all over about uh, what had happened. And one we got from Ireland was especially funny. It said that uh, there was a young pastor in a mountain town in Colorado, and he was in the pub with his mates one day, and he told them, God will provide us with a church building. And they all laughed at him and said, no, that's impossible. That will never happen. But then the story went on. They walked outside and there was a church building coming up the road, just as the pastor had said, a log church building. Well, that's what God did. What does God want to do for you and with you during your midnight moment or midnight season? What we got in the way of a church building was a gift and miraculous. But nothing like the gift that Jesus Christ provided for us when he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And you may have communion there at your house where you take of the cup that symbolizes the blood that Jesus shed for us and the bread that symbolizes his body broken for us. And as you partake of that, thank God. God for the gift of salvation that Jesus provided for you. Love God. Love people.